I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to this episode of Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk about the impeachment trial and the definition of freedom of speech. We're also going to talk about Dr. Fauci's announcement regarding the vaccine, as well as Autumn's going to tell us about a little investor in her family who, you know, got inspired by GameStop last week. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to be interviewing two interns at Good Faith Media, Jana Peterson and Jessica McDougall. So stay tuned. So Autumn, how are things in uh, your neck of the woods? Well, Mitch, I woke up sort of abruptly to um, some, uh, well, I guess some admonishing really from my husband. Well, what, what did what you did spend? You, what, what did you do, Autumn? Well, I just woke up to what did you spend two hundred dollars on overnight? Like, I mean, typically it would have been like really good cheese, <laughs> but I'm not buying that online. <laughs> sort of a foodie, so I get online, I start looking, and find out that in the meantime, my husband's canceling our credit card, like oh, doing sure, all the yeah. things That's you do scary. when you think you've had an imposter, yeah, you know, stealing your your financial identity. Logged onto my Apple ID and someone has spent about two hundred fifteen dollars on pokey coins. Pokey coins, two hundred smackaroos <laughs> on pokey coins. I mean, that's a Pikachu lot. Of, must have been just really thirsty coin. last night because <laughs> oh my gosh! So then we confront the seven year old, and uh, it turns out he didn't know it was real money, mom. Mom, I didn't know it was real money. But so, I mean, did, was he not thinking? Okay, pokey coins. Bitcoins. I mean, this could be a huge investment for your family. And after Truly. the inspiration of GameStop last week, I mean, mm-hmm. he could be onto something. I'm, I would say double down on Pokemon <laughs> coins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he could be some kind of like first grade financial wizard, but I think probably he was just trying to level up. Um, and so we have well, disabled hey, and not so, purchased. So are the Bitcoin investors. They're trying to level up too. <laughs> Bless them. I know. I know. It's just the times we live in, you yeah. know? Well, I uh, hope you get it all straightened out. And I, I do <laughs> hope that Pikachu is just fine with his $200 <laughs> coins in his bag right now. <laughs> I was actually really relieved that it wasn't me, like buying stuff in my sleep. <laughs> true. That's absolutely true. So, well, besides uh, some serious investing going on uh, in the Lockett household, um, there is a little bit of a trial going on in Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Former President Trump as uh, we all know, was impeached before he left office for a second time because of the timing. Now uh, his trial is being held during the Biden administration. There was some debate this week whether that was constitutional. It was ruled to be constitutional by pretty much a bipartisan vote, even though six Republican senators joined Democrats in declaring that it was constitutional to hold the impeachment trial after the president had left office. And so now we're into the arguments. And one of the arguments that we are hearing not only from Trump's lawyers, but certainly his supporters, is that uh, he cannot be held accountable, one, because of the First Amendment and freedom of speech. But I argue in my column this week that freedom of speech has always had its limits. It's not absolute. The Supreme Court has ruled on that in several occasions. The most uh, glaring one, it would be you can't go into a movie theater and scream fire because that causes harm 
uh, and chaos and, and potential threat of injury and in life to other human beings. So there has mm-hmm. always been a limit of free speech, and then there's also other rulings, and you can see that at the column, regarding the limitations of free speech. But more importantly, there's this notion that I can say anything I want to and there not be any responsibility or consequences for the sake of my words. And that is absolutely not true. You can't lie under oath. You can't you know, falsify uh, facts uh, and slander somebody or libel somebody. There's always been this consequence to your rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And I argue in the, the column that that's exactly what we're facing today that uh, the president used not only his rhetoric in the speech that was delivered on January 6th, but leading up to that, making false claims regarding the election, uh, that it was stolen from him, that there was fraud conducted, and they were just absolutely, unequivocally lies. And it's been proven over and over again. And so his words have consequences. And Mm -hmm. those consequences were seen on January 6th after the speech he gave uh, at the National Mall uh, outside the White House when inspired by his words, not only on that day, but previously a group of insurrectionists went to the United States Capitol, breached security, made their way inside the the, uh, Capitol in hopes to cause chaos, damage, as well as death. They Mm -hmm. were saying with their own words, they were inspired by Trump and they were there to hang the vice president, Mike Pence, and were seeking Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitt Romney. And it is apparent by the manager's uh, revealing of evidence this week during the trial, that's exactly what they were doing. And they were all inspired by the words of Donald J. Trump. He must be held accountable. Well, he must be. And, you know, the situation with free speech is, I would argue, as someone holding public office, a really high public office, that his responsibility from his freedom of speech is is even more important because of the gravity and the weight that his his words carry. And I think that's something that we saw throughout his four years in office is just sort of a a breakaway, I mean, from just the decorum of the office, from the responsibility of that office, and just really just a sort of a blatant, I don't think it was ignorance, I think it was a blatant um, defiance of understanding um, what that office means, what the office of president has, the responsibilities that go along with that, and not keeping uh, his temper, his words, his... um, his emotions in check. And we just saw just sort of whatever came to his brain coming out of his fingers on Twitter. And there was an irresponsibility that was a current flowing for the whole four years. And it really just came to a climax on January 6th. You're absolutely right. And after seeing the evidence that uh, the house managers presented over the last 48 hours, uh, and haven't seen the testimony on Thursday as of yet, but seeing those videos and the timeline in which all of that unfolded, regarding the president's words as well as the actions of the insurrectionists that um, I cannot imagine acquitting Trump of these charges. 
but there are going to be Republican senators that do so. Now, there have been some who've already you know, voiced that they are open to uh, indicting him, finding him guilty uh, of these charges of uh, inciting an insurrection, but there are others who are just adamantly against it. And I am just appalled that mm-hmm. they would do so because when you see what happened in the Capitol and hearing the, the, their own words from the insurrectionists mm-hmm. saying that they were following the orders of President Trump. They were carrying his flag. I know. They were carrying his flag and they were carrying his message, message and enacting his orders uh, in their mind. And mm-hmm. because of that, I just cannot imagine anyone looking at that and saying the president or the former president should be acquitted of these charges. If they do that, they are putting president, former president Donald Trump, his rights over the life of officer Sicknick. And that is disgusting. It's immoral. And these senators must be, uh, uh, removed from office, and hopefully through the democratic process, they will be voted out during the next election because this is asinine. This is who we are as a, democracy, a democratic republic. This is human decency. Uh, this is rule of law. If they vote to acquit the former president, it will be a travesty, and it will go down in history as one of the lowest moments in American history. Yep, history is watching, the world's watching, their children are watching, and they need to do the right thing. Absolutely, I agree. Well, speaking of doing the right thing, Dr. Fauci made a wonderful announcement today. He said that uh, even though there have been hiccups, and there have been many uh, hiccups uh, with the rollout of the vaccine, that it looks like in April uh, the vaccine will be available to anyone who wants it. Now, that's the good news. Uh, The more complex news is that It looks like it's not going to be to the end of summer, early fall, that everyone who wants a vaccine will get a vaccine. But it's positive steps, Autumn, really positive steps. And uh, there is hope on the horizon. There is. And I think it's just, you know, we all have to continue to be responsible, um, to wear our masks, to distance, to stay home and flatten the curve when we can, and to hold one another accountable. It's hard. We're all tired. We are approaching a year. Um, being in this confinement state, but I think if we all just hold steady and strong, we can get through the hardest part of this. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, Autumn, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk to our two Ernest C. Hines interns at Good Faith Media, Jana Peterson and Jessica McDougall, and they are an absolute delight. We have loved having yeah. them with us, and so you'll want to stay tuned for our conversation with our interns. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got two very special guests with us today, our Ernest C. Hines interns at Good Faith Media, Jana Peterson and Jessica McDougall. They've both been with us since January of 2021. 
Jan is a mother of six and a self-described homeschooling homemaker for 15 years. She lives in Bozeman, Montana, and is nearing completion of a Master's of Divinity degree at Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Jessica is a third-year Master of Divinity student at Campbell University, or Camel University Divinity School, and youth minister at Millbrook Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's written previously for Good Faith Media and Nurturing Faith. Both of you, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. We're glad to have you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Well, as uh, we've been talking through uh, all of our guests uh, during this pandemic, uh, we want to ask both of you, uh, Jessica, how are you, how are you feeling? You've, has COVID affected you, your family in any way, or are you doing okay? We're doing we're doing pretty pretty well. I've um, obviously had to switch to virtual school, um, and I was working from home for most of last year, um, but recently came back to work. I'm the only person in the office nowadays. So, yeah. but otherwise, we're doing pretty well. My family's been healthy, so I'm Good. happy about that. Excellent. And Jan, how are you? Everybody healthy in, on your end? Yeah, we are healthy and. Uh, yeah, half of us have reduced our uh, social patterns so that we're hopefully flattening the curve. And the ones who have to go out to work in school, they do that with proper precautions. Yeah, we're doing good. Good. We That's did get so some good, good news today. Uh, Dr. Fauci announced that uh, he's hoping that everyone will be able or be eligible for the vaccine starting in April. Now it's going to take probably through the end of summer, early fall to get everybody vaccinated, but that was great news. So uh, good news all around. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So other than the introductory biographical information that Mitch just shared with us, can you both tell us a little bit more about yourselves? We know you're both in seminary, pursuing careers, utilizing your passions of faith, ministry, and writing, and at Good Faith Media, we've been able to really benefit already in just the short time you've been with us from those talents that you both have. So Gina, why don't you go first, and then Jessica? Oh, good question. <laughs> I spend a lot of my time at home these days. I have, as you know, a family full of children at home. Um, I enjoy crochet. I love woodworking and um, love, I live in the Bozeman area and I love hiking. And especially if there's a good waterfall at the end of the hike, that will get me nice. out into the woods. And, and for me, I, um, I spend most of my free time, which is limited in itself. Um, I spend most of my free time writing and reading. So, um, pretty much what I do for work and for a good faith is what I just do all the time anyway. So, <laughs> well, both of you live in two wonderful locations, Bozeman and Raleigh are two of my favorite cities. I've been to both of them. And uh, just just loved my time uh, in, in both cities. So we're both, or we are glad that you are interns uh, at Good Faith Media, and we, as as Autumn's already indicated, have uh, really benefited from your expertise and and wisdom uh, over the the month that you've been with us. Now, one of the things I'm interested in, both of you uh, obviously are enrolled in seminary. Um, that that you had some sort of calling. Um, uh, to to apply and then to you know begin this track of seminary education. So Jessica and the Janet, can you tell us about your calling story? I'm always fascinated about how how did you hear that call from the divine to do what you're now doing? 
Man, um, what an interesting question. So my calling story is, I think, a little weird. Um, when I graduated high school, I set off um, to Wilmington, North Carolina for college, and I just went crazy. I, I spent more time at parties and hanging out with my friends than I did in class, and I actually got kicked out. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> so in order to stay in Wilmington and like, you know, keep having fun with my friends, I had to get a job mm -hmm. and I started working um, at a drug and alcohol substance abuse rehabilitation clinic um, as a treatment assistant. My job was just to hang out with the patients. Um, and it was during that time um, where I... I was hanging out with the patients during the day and I was attending 12-step um, meetings at night with the patients um, as part of my job. And it was in those meetings that I began to really feel a pull towards ministry. Um, there was something about the honesty and the just raw vulnerability in those meetings um, that just led me to imagine what if what if that's what church was like? Um, wow. So that's, I think, where my calling started. Yeah. Is that uh, a little strange? No, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, what you're saying is that your work with these individuals, I mean, you heard the voice of God through them, through your experience and, and time with them, uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, God mm -hmm. speaks in so many different ways. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And Jana? I was raised in a very conservative Christian family, met my husband at a Bible college in Canada and did the conservative Christian evangelical thing. You get married and have kids and stay home and homeschool them. And the story is a little too long to tell in this moment. But at some point, that just didn't work for me anymore. I needed, at, at, at a very basic level, I just needed friends outside the house and adults to talk to that were um, adults, <laughs> not children. <laughs> and, and I had my own story of, of harm in the conservative church that I needed to also do a lot of work uh, to navigate through. Um, and my story towards healing ultimately took me to seminary. I actually applied as a counseling student. Um, a similar, I guess similar to Jessica, there was something in the story of like my pursuit of healing and the small groups I found outside of church that felt more like church than the church I was experiencing at the time. And I had a longing to bring, to kind of bridge that gap between counseling and church. And because the world I grew up in told me women can't be pastors. Well, of course that means I need to be a counseling student, mm. but Within my first week at seminary, I, man, just met a few other MDiv students and heard the tug and call in my gut and changed degree programs. And, and these days, 
I would say I needed to be an MDiv student to learn that the Bible doesn't have to be read that way. Mm. Like Bible, Bible, I, I love that Good Faith Media provides resources from an inclusive lens because Bible has has a lot of abundance within its pages. I love that. So, Jana, jumping from right off from what you just talked about with the Bible being a source of liberation and uh, sort of a, it can be a tool for harm, but it can also be a tool for healing for folks who have been harmed. How do you see yourself advocating for those concepts and those ideas, both for Good Faith Media now and then in your future as a minister? That's a really great question. Um, in the present, I see myself really just using my voice to name the dissonance or the difference that I'm seeing among the the different kinds of Christianities at play in America right now. That felt really evident to me um, at the inauguration when President Biden had many people of color in his inauguration service who had a robust faith that was very, very different than the white Christianity that I grew up with and many of my friends experienced. And I appreciate that Good Faith Media gave me an opportunity to put words to that and then publish that article. It was really great. Um, In the future, I wonder about... Uh, creating small groups either within churches or in parachurch uh, dynamic uh, that can carry on that kind of that bridge between between church and counseling and let people uh, dig into the the real nitty gritty of what what the stories of their lives bring. Um, I would also love to create resources for adults or teens to understand, just to to dig into the Bible in a new way. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And Jessica, you have written quite extensively for several publications, including Nurturing Faith Journal and Good Faith Media. And one of the things that uh, in talking to you, uh, outside of this interview and during the interview process, uh, you've got this wonderful perspective about writing as ministry. So could you kind of describe that, you know, the, the theological understanding of that philosophy of writing as ministry, and then what do you hope to do with that in the future? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, my perspective Um, of writing as ministry really started, um, you know, just from experiences that I've had in my life that were, um, you know, contrary to quote unquote, the like typical Christian life, uh, my interactions with uh, people that sort of the traditional Christian understanding you know, that, that maybe some of us have been raised to believe, um, that these people would not have much to offer, 
um, as far as spiritual guidance. Um, and in my life, that has been quite the opposite case, I feel. Um, I feel as though there have been um, spiritual experiences that I have um, encountered in places where they were very unexpected. Um, and so I would write about those experiences and I would, um, my goal would be um, vulnerability and transparency um, in hopes that I could reach a group of people who had thought to themselves, man, I really felt God there, but maybe that wasn't God because I have been taught that God wouldn't act through such a person or such an experience. Um, and so my goal, um, I think, I think is just to write honestly and um, show that God doesn't have to work the way that we have said that God can work. Does that make sense? Instead mm -hmm. of saying that God can only move through these things God can do whatever what's your God favorite, wants. <laughs> what's your favorite kind of writing uh, to engage in? Is it is it uh, you know, some people say poetry, some say maybe sermonic material, uh, academic writing, uh, or just reflection? I want to say just reflection or reflection uh, because all of these speak differently to different audiences. What do you you see you um, kind of leaning towards? Sure. I think, um, I think as ministry, writing as ministry, I think in my case, at least reflection. Um, I love poetry. I, I read a lot of poetry for spiritual purposes, but when it comes to actually, um, writing myself, I think I, I write ministerially more effectively as a reflection. You know, I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, we talk about here at uh, Good Faith Media, and we hear from uh, applicants for the internship program, most of them uh, who are applying for the internships are seminary students working in local congregations or have other employment. Um, the question is, okay, how does this internship uh, affect just my workload, my time constraints? Because let's face facts, and, and I, I've got two young sons myself who are adults. Um, I am just amazed at th the everything that they are doing. Um, a lot of times I think the younger generations get um, unfairly criticized because they don't know, older generations don't know everything that younger generations are involved in. And so the question, I guess, is for any potential uh, individual that wants to apply for the internship, how does the workload of being an intern, um, does it take a lot away from the usual workload you have as a minister, a seminary student, uh, or do you find it manageable? So I'm honestly, I'm considering the workload of Good Faith Media as kind of part of the workload of my seminary experience this term. It's part of a, a requirement for completing my MDiv. And so in my head, I have family priorities and maybe extracurricular priorities and then seminary and somehow good faith media fits under that in my, in my mind's eye. And um, I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the, the goals of the program is especially for seminary students uh, is to help complement uh, that education that you're mm -hmm. receiving in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I, I love the variety that Good Faith Media offers. 
I also love the camaraderie that Good Faith Media offers. The the team at Good Faith Media is really open hearted and and welcoming and appreciative of the contributions that I have to offer. I I feel like Good Faith Media has a lot of uh, the open hearted stance. Good Faith Media that I have experienced at Good Faith Media has given me freedom to either accept or decline uh, assignments depending on the fit for the workload. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like the things on my plate with with Good Faith Media are are things that that fit. That's great. And your bonus check will be in the mail tomorrow. Jessica, let's see what you can do. I I agree with Jana. Um, oh, you I'm can't also, you can't ditto. I mean, we just talked about <laughs> creative variety. <laughs> I am also um, I am actually getting school credit for this internship. So so I also consider it part of my seminary education this year. Um, the workload isn't it's not it's not giving me a headache. Um, it hasn't <laughs> been too much on my plate. I. I enjoy writing anyway, so the writing assignments that I've gotten from Good Faith have just sort of been fun extra things for me to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have I have um, emailed Zach and told him I want to write this, but I don't have time to write it right this second. Can I write this in a few weeks? And he was like, "Yes, of course, you can <laughs> take your time with it." So everybody is really flexible and. Um, the workload is is manageable, definitely. Good. Well, you know, that, that kind of brings to mind a couple of follow-up questions before we get to our final question that Autumn asked every one of our guests. And uh, one of the questions that I'm always fascinated about, and I know you've only been an intern now here at Good Faith Media for about a month now, but going into it, I'm sure there were some expectations. Uh, there were some preconceived notions about what – the organization was going to be like, the work was going to be like. Uh, so you've gotten now a peek behind the scenes of what we do here at Good Faith Media. Um, what has surprised you? I mean, when you, th- you thought, you know, I didn't think about that, or, um, wow, I would have never thought about that. Uh, but, you know, th- th- that's, that's interesting to me. What has been surprising to you thus far, uh, finding out about uh, the ministry at Good Faith Media? So, uh, Jana, why don't you go first? I think what surprised me, just because I haven't really had a lot of experience in the nuts and bolts, nitty gritty of the publishing world, is just all the conversation that has to happen around the the paperwork and the editing and the all the the background things. It's, it's like Jessica, it's sure fun to write, but to write and then get it out into the world. Oh, advertising is another one. But like, there's a whole world behind the writing that I was not as aware of as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite extensive sometimes. I, you know, I, again, I'm I'm a trained uh, minister, MDiv, uh, DMIN. 
And, uh, you know, when I stepped into the role executive director at Ethics Daily, now CEO of Good Faith Media, I had no clue about all of this stuff uh, that went on behind the scenes and was just absolutely floored by it and just admired everybody and all the work that was put in uh, to bringing these resources and reflections uh, to life. And so thanks for saying that because you know, we've got a great team here at Good Faith Media and Zach and Cliff and Johnny and Bruce and Vicki and uh, Autumn and, and uh, Missy and, you know, just everybody, part of Tony, um, just all of them and Jackie, all of them are just an essential part of the team and to, and they all do such good work to make certain everything comes to fruition. And then, of course, our wonderful intern. So what surprised you, Jessica, about being part of Good Faith Media? I was also surprised um, by all the behind-the-scenes action that, that goes on um, to get something published, specifically book publishing. I, I had the honor of sitting in on a book publishing meeting last week and it was fascinating um just how much goes into you know selecting a manuscript um editing it and in you know the the different people that it has to go through and the amount of time that's involved it was just really interesting to me um fascinating to learn about that's great. So again, here's my last question before I hand it over to Autumn. Um, so now you've kind of gotten a taste about what it's like to write for a living, to publish for a living, just on a, a you know microscopic level. Um, tell the audience what it was like for the first time when you wrote something, knowing that it was about to be published for public consumption because a lot of times as a minister as clergy we write for a specific audience whether that is for our congregations or for our family and friends but this what you're writing is going out to the world so what was that process like uh, Jessica what was that like for you to, to know that you were writing something that you know we're hoping thousands of people are going to be reading it was a little intimidating, but it was equally exciting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this has been a dream of mine to be a published writer uh, for a very, very long time. So um, when I was working on an article that, you know, there was a possibility would end up being published, um, there's sort of the feeling like, there. I, I mean, this is it. This is me. There's no hiding. Everyone's going to see this. I can't mess this up. <laughs> um, if, if I say something, it's out there forever. Um, so it's intimidating in that way, but also, um, I don't know, there's a sense of accomplishment, mm -hmm. I, I think, when something that you write is published, something that um, you came up with in, in your heart and you, you poured yourself into, and, and it's out there in the world now. So mm -hmm. it's really a good feeling in the end. We've done no turning back, no turning <laughs> back. <laughs> With every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> uh, but I'm, you know, I, I love how you you depict that. You know, and, and to combine with what you said a moment ago. One of the things that we really value is this team concept of publication. And one of the things that that I had to get used to coming from the pulpit. Uh, into uh, an organization like this was there was only one editor for my sermons, and that was me. When it went out for public, uh, you know, for public publication, uh, we have a process, 
and it goes to an editor, then it goes to a copy editor, and there are multiple layers of editing that takes place. And I had to learn to, you know, not have such a big ego because not everything I wrote was sacred. <laughs> and so when, it, when I send an article to, to Zach and, and Cliff and Autumn and, and they take their red pen to it, I've learned to not only appreciate that, but to value their input ex- extremely because it makes the piece better. And so uh, I know that that's given me solace when finally something goes out there uh, for public consumption that it's not just me saying it's me and several editors who put their eyes on it and pins to it. So that's helped out a great deal. Except for that Oxford comma, it is sacred. And <laughs> oh, no, 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 you're getting into a debate that that's going to take a whole episode to discuss. We will have Zach Dawes on the podcast and we will debate the Oxford comma. I come from a world of legal writing. And so it just like makes me twitch a little bit when he takes it out. <laughs> I've also been chastised and still to this day are made fun of for using two spaces after a period. Come on, Papa, you know better than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still get my hands left. Why are you using two spaces after a period? That's for typewriters. Get into the digital age. Sorry. <laughs> so with that, Jana, it's all yours. So. <laughs> well, I, I think I'd use the pregnancy metaphor. I know a lot of writers use that metaphor when they're talking about something they're publishing into the world. But, and, and honestly, if you're going to go with that metaphor, you could even talk about the editing community as the doulas that help that piece come to life into the world. But I mean, definitely feeling the passion stir within my bones for the thing that I want to write. And then you know, lingering with it, languishing with it. How do we want to approach this? Man, that one article I wrote probably took a running start at it five or six times before (laughs) I found the way I really wanted to write it. And then to, to send it through the hands of, yeah, Zach and the other editors and uh, to feel, I, I felt thankful to be able to share something important with the world. And I also felt kind of held or contained by a community who like, it almost felt like we were all putting it out there Mm -hmm. together in some respects. I, and I, I, I don't know if that's every publishing company, but sure. Thankful for good faith media in that way. Jana, thank you so much for that answer, and to both of you for joining us on Good Faith Weekly uh, during this episode. It's been a fantastic time, and now Autumn has a very important question for you. Yeah, how do you guys feel that churches could benefit from utilizing Bitcoin for their offering needs? (laughs) See, it was worth it. No, really. Our real question is, at Good Faith Media, our tagline is, there's more to tell. So in light of your work here, your path to this point, and your ministry ahead of you, what is your more to tell? My more to tell is that um, there are no coincidences. Your talents and the things that you're passionate about um, are there for a reason, Um, and you have a voice, so you should use it.
love that. And my more to tell is that I just want to affirm to those who are holding a lot of questions about their faith. I want to affirm that the creator is good and is ready for your questions. Jesus can handle your critique. And I think spirit is birthing something new and beautiful in our communities. And I'm really excited to participate and, and, and we need you to participate too. Well, again, thank you both for being on Good Faith Weekly on this episode. And for anyone interested in applying for the Ernest C. Hines internship at Good Faith Media, you can do so at goodfaithmedia.org. The deadline for our summer internship program is quickly approaching, so make certain you check that out and submit a resume. And we would love to uh, talk to you about what it would like or what it's like to be an intern here at Good Faith Media. Jana Peterson, Jesse McDougall, thank you so much for not only being guest, but thank you for sharing your life with us and your gifts with us. It's been a distinct pleasure. Thank you so much. And to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly on this episode. And we appreciate uh, you returning next week when we'll be back with another conversation and guest. Until then, keep living good faith.